Um, tonight's reading is from Psalm chapter 8. Um, if you'd like to look it up in the Pew Bibles, it's Psalm chapter 8 and it starts at page 546. So, Psalm chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim in the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen. Just leading into that uh, song, Blessed Be Your Name, we thought about God always being the same, no matter what season of life we're in. And in our prayers for others, we're just going to um, bring before God some people who uh, are going through um, some periods of change or transition in the next little while. So let's pray. Uh, Father God, we thank you that you are the God that does not change. We thank you that that can be our anchor and our rock. We thank you that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Lord, not much else in life stays the same, but we thank you that you do. Um, Lord, some changes can be exciting, some changes we choose, uh, some changes can be difficult. Um, and Lord, as we are well into the second half of the summer, Lord, we just think ahead to the new term. We think of um, children and young people going back to school, uh, teachers preparing to welcome them. We pray for those that are going to settle into new classes, those that are transitioning from primary school into secondary school, uh, those that have left secondary school to get jobs or to move on to university. Uh, we pray for those that will uh, leave home to go to university. Uh, we pray for those that are going into the world of work. Lord, throughout all these transitions, all these changes, things that can seem scary and daunting, we just pray that you would give your spirit of peace um, and a very real sense of your presence, Lord. Uh, Father, tonight we're here to celebrate, and, and after the service we'll uh, thank the Burke family. We just pray for them at the minute in this season of of change and transition as they get ready to pack up and move south lord we just thank you for their time with us and we just pray that you'll encourage and bless them in the weeks ahead uh, and in the months and years ahead in their ministry um and lord we just think too over the next few weeks of um summer missions that are still going on all throughout the country lord we just pray that those from this congregation that are involved in those will be uh, blessed and encouraged and that young people up and down the country would be uh, excited to delve into your word and to meet jesus uh, we just pray for lives to be impacted in this place over the next few weeks uh, throughout various summer activities, including uh, the Holiday Bible Club here in a week or two. Uh, we just bring all these things before you in Jesus' name. Amen. Good evening and uh, welcome to Bloomfield tonight. Uh, lovely crowd. Um, <coughs> Let me say this, Psalm 9 is on next week. 
and I would encourage you all to benefit from it. I mean that sincerely, I'm not joking. Uh, next Sunday night, 7 o'clock, Psalm 9, because this Psalm series has been wonderful, just to see who God is and what he is like. And tonight, if you turn with me uh, to Psalm 8, that would be great. You'll find it on page 543, so 543 of the Pew Bibles. And as you're looking that up, let me pray for us tonight as we come uh, to this psalm. Father God, we thank you for the blessing of being together this morning to praise your name and to hear from your word. And again tonight, we just thank you, Father, for the privilege it is to be with your people. And Father, thank you for that reminder that in your light do we see light. And we pray as we come to this Psalm 8 tonight that we would see more of you and in so doing see more of ourselves and what we were made for and our role and what you have done to redeem us back, we pray. Father, warm our hearts towards you tonight through your word, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We live in a period in history when questions about who God is and what is humanity, man and woman, seems to be hotly discussed, debated, redefined, and questioned more than any other time probably in history. And the pursuit of these questions of who God is and what is man or woman has led many to ask whether or not God exists at all. Perhaps you remember back to 2008, 2009, when the UK Humanist Society ran an advert campaign on London bus. Do you remember it? And it had this caption, there is probably no God. Now stop worrying and enjoy life. And often in trying to answer these questions of who God is and who we are, we have often found that God and humanity are separated into different spheres, not connected with the belief that we can understand humanity ourselves we can define ourselves and existence without the influence or consideration of God. And we see this working out, particularly today, in our society in many ways, and particularly in the hot topics of euthanasia, abortion, transgender issues even, and debates. In Calvin's Christian Institutes, in chapter 1, he argues that the knowledge of God and of ourselves are mutually connected. Bear with me as I read some of it. He says this, Our wisdom, insofar as it ought to be deemed true and solid wisdom, consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. But these are connected together by many ties. It's not easy to determine which of the two precedes and gives birth to the other, for in the first place no man or woman can survey himself without forthwith turning his thoughts towards the God in whom he lives and moves. Because it is perfectly obvious that, that the endowments which we possess cannot possibly be from ourselves. Our very being is nothing else than subsistence in God alone. In the second place, those blessings which unceasingly distill to us from heaven are like streams conducting us to the fountain. On the other hand, it is evident that man never attains to a true self-knowledge until he has previously contemplated 
the face of God and come down after such contemplation to look into himself. What's Calvin saying there? He's saying this. He's arguing that a true knowledge of self cannot be separated from a knowledge of God. If you want to know who you are, what you were made for, your role and purpose, you cannot do that devoid of God. These two are connected. The knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. And tonight, unapologetically, that is exactly what Psalm 8 does for us in these nine short verses. It moves us to consider God and praise him for who he is. But in so doing, it makes you and I aware of our worth, our role, and our significance. So let's begin to notice this. How does God, David, open Psalm 8? He opens and closes it. Do you see it in front of you in verses 1 and 9 by saying, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. David begins and closes with God, praising him, revering him. The use of the word Lord here is used twice. The first is the name of Yahweh, which was never really mentioned by the Hebrews. When they wrote it down, they wrote the vowels rather than the full word because it was sacred. It was his personal name. The second Lord is that of Adonai, our master. And so here David begins and ends with the same verses, verses 1 and verse 9. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And I suppose if I, and Mark hinted at this in his intro to one of the songs, if I was to go around the room tonight and ask you, Tell me some wonderful sight you experienced or saw on your holidays this summer. What would you say? Anyone shout out a sight wonderful that you saw? Maybe some children are here tonight. Just tell me something you saw. Sicily, Florida, apart from Walt Disney. Donegal sunshine, lovely, yeah. Out your front door, beautiful view, great, yeah. And just think for a moment, where is that site? Maybe you've traveled to a different country. Maybe you've been somewhere. We as a family had the privilege of staying on holidays in a house that was situated on, on Horn Head in Donegal. Uh, it meant you had numerous beaches around you, Tremor, Kilahoe, Marble Hill. You could see Downings across the way. Every morning we woke up, Muckish Mountain straight in front of us with a big dirty cloud on it. <laughs> and, and the kids were able to... And one day we, we tackled Cornhead with the kids. We walked through bog and water to get out to the very edge of it. And eventually we got there, where eventually we got, could go no further. And straight in front of us was this sheer drop into the wild and powerful Atlantic Ocean, hundreds of feet below. Uh, I can tell you Sarah held on to Stephen's hand pretty, <laughs> pretty severely there. But one of the things, isn't it, when you, when you face something of absolute beauty or power or awe, is that it makes you think outside of yourself, doesn't it? The sheer presence of cliffs or mountains or oceans that are just so powerful, it makes you think outside of yourself. It makes you think about who created it. It makes you wonder about the power and majesty of the one who put this together and keeps it going. And that is what the earth and creation around us does it tells us something of who God is. It is, as the Psalm 19 puts it, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth knowledge. Night after night, they display knowledge. What knowledge? What are they telling us? 
They're telling us something about God. And that is why David says here, God's name is majestic in all the earth because creation is proclaiming and declaring something of who he is, general revelation. But David also reminds us that creation, for all its declaring and proclaiming, cannot contain the glory of God because God has set his glory above the heavens. I love the way James Montgomery Boyce explains this. He says this, the reason creation, wonderful as it is, cannot exhaust the glory of God is that God is its maker. A maker surpasses his creation always. And that's what David is getting at here. You have set your glory above the heavens. The earth cannot contain the glory of God in its totality. And so it goes beyond it. And that's what David is saying here. And Boyce goes on, he says, although creation expresses his glory, reveals his existence, wisdom and great power, as well as other attributes, it's only a partial revelation of the surpassing greater God who stands behind it. And this is what David is saying in verse 1, that God is far more than his creation, that his glory is far more reaching, and it cannot be contained in the earth alone. It reaches to the heavens. And if this is who God is, then he is to be worshipped, honoured and praised. But verse 2, have a look at it, shows us that God's enemies will not praise him, refuse to. And so what does God do? He ordains praise from the lips of children and infants. And there's a lovely little passage where this verse is used in the New Testament with Jesus. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law see all the miracles and signs that Jesus performs. And when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, there's a famous scene in Matthew's Gospel, verse 21, where as he comes in, we're told this, when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him, and he said, yes, but replied to them, have you never read from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? It's a wonderful reminder that God is to be praised, will be praised, worshipped, and when that is not done, God will ordain praise from children, infants. Infants don't talk, they babble, and God will ordain that if that's what it needs to be in order to be praised He will even bring forth from the stones praise if he has to. God is to be praised. We are made to worship and praise God. And this takes us to verse 3 onwards, where David's focus now is on man and woman in light of who God is. That's what he says in verse 3. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, What is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? I guess you can understand, can't you, how David could write something like this. His early life was spent looking after animals, sheep. I'm sure there's many a night he would have spent on the open hills and fields under the stars, looking at them, seeing the vast expanse of God's creation. And so when he says, I consider your heavens, the work of your finger, the moon and stars, he is working in it as a shepherd. But how much more information and knowledge 
do we have today compared to David? We can flick the mouse on, you can swipe the phone, the iPad, and you can have all the information you nearly want to in front of us about creation. Mountains, seas, the sciences have been opened up to us. The earth and even the galaxy, we're beginning to understand that it is only a speck in the huge magnitude of all that God has built and created. We're still discovering and trying to come to terms with the complexity of the body and the brain and how it functions and works. And it's shown us up when it comes to diseases. We haven't been able to fathom it. Why is this happening? Why is the brain functioning the way it is? And I guess one of the miracles of this whole opening up of knowledge and understanding is that a physicist like Dr. Brian Cox can have live shows now. Listen to how he puts one of his live shows. And I'm fascinated that a nerd can run live shows like this. The shows will take audiences, this is his promo, on a dazzling journey through space and time, delving into the high sciences, whatever that means, and freewheeling on the edges of the known cosmos. Whether an avid science science reader or a total novice, Professor Brian Cox's live show will test the limits of our knowledge and make highly complex ideas accessible to us. Why is that? Because our knowledge of things has grown. It has grown and grown and grown. We know more than David did. And so when it comes to this verse of verse 3, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, God, the moon and the stars which you have put in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? For the Christian and the challenge to the unbeliever in this world is this universe is God's handiwork. And so it's right what Isaiah says. He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and his people are like grasshoppers to him. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads it out like a tent in front of him. Lift your eyes and look to heaven. Who created all this? He who brings out the starry hosts one by one, calls them each by name because of his great power and mighty strength. Not one of them is missing. Consider, look at God's heavens, his work, his world, which he has set in place. When we do that, it begs the question, how insignificant are we? Who are we that God would think of us? That he's careful, caring of us. Boyce goes on and he says this, how astonishing that the God of this vast universe, the God who made it and orders it, should think of us and should care for us if he is this. And that is what God does. He thinks of us and he cares for us. He didn't create us because he was lonely in need of some company or for anything for that matter. He created us for his glory and praise. And verses 5 to 8 capture exactly how God thinks of us and cares for us. It says this in verses 5 to 8. You made man and woman a little lower than the heavenly beings, crowned them with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hand. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the fields, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, all that swam the paths of the sea. And these few verses tells us two things about ourselves, men and women. It tells us how we are made and it tells us what our role is or what we were made for. Verse 5 The question raised is this, are we just trun together? 
a chance creation, a little bit glorified than the beasts. That's not what this tells us. It tells us we're made a little lower than the heavenly angels, but more than the animal world and kingdom. One commentator puts it like this. He says that we are made to look upward, not downward. We are crowned with glory and honor. We are, have a worth, a value. We're crowned with it. But the question is, how and why? Because God has made us in his image. We're made in the image of God. Go back to Genesis 1, verse 26 to 28. It will tell us that God says this, let us make man and woman in our image, in our likeness. So God made man in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female. He created them. Each human being, irrespective of their capability of mind or body, are made in the image of God. And so we have dignity, worth, value, because we are God's work. What are you and I that God would do this for us? This has huge implications, doesn't it, for how we view life and people in all sorts of circumstances. Be it the unborn child, the person who has lost their faculties or some physical or mental disability. Does function, productivity give us value? Does quality of life give us worth? No, ultimately, we have all that because we are made in the image of God. Scripture teaches us that all human beings are crowned with glory and honor because they're made in God's image. This is a truly Christian and biblical perspective on men and women. That is why I was amazed with the 100,000 Lives campaign recently. I had a thought about that. Bangor, where we live, has 80,000 live people in it. You know, and, and what Both Lives Matter are arguing that the abortion laws in Northern Ireland have saved 100,000 people. Bangor wiped out, gone in numbers and more. But because of this teaching, the Christian has always held on to that the unborn, those who have difficulties, mental or disability, are made in the image of God. Everyone is. They have value and worth because we're made in the image of God, not because of productivity or capability, but we're not only made in the image of God, we're made, God has given us a role and a purpose. See it in verses six to eight. Listen to how God speaks of when he made us in Genesis. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over. Gordon Wenham in his commentary explains this role of ruling in this way. He says this, he, that is men and women, rules the world on God's behalf. Mankind is commissioned to rule nature as a benevolent king, acting as God's representative over them and therefore treating them in the same way as the God who created them. You can see how in this psalm that when we know who God is, then we really do find out who we are, made in the image of God, given a role of looking after his world, acting as God's representatives, made to reflect his glory, to worship and praise him. It's no wonder David starts and finishes, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And as you take in this psalm, as you see who God is, as you see that we are made in his image and given a role by him, the question is, isn't it wonderful? Isn't it wonderful the way God has made us? 
given us a role that we can know him. And I suppose I want to end tonight by asking this, but what's the problem with Psalm 8? If this is the way we were meant to be, if this is the way we were meant to relate to God and live in his world under his rule, what's the problem? The problem is, it's not that way, is it? It's not that way. We in the world around us do not see God as he is. Many of us think he doesn't exist at all. Many of us claim if he does exist, he's irrelevant and he's no claim or authority on our lives. Instead of seeing him as the one who made us and is to be praised and worshipped and honoured, we've replaced him with our own image of God. We've taken God's role and observed it. That's what Adam and Eve bought into in Genesis when they were tempted. Be like God. And today we're still buying into it. We've taken from God's majesty and glory and soiled our God-given image and made our role that of God and it has blurred everything ever since. When we ask who God is and what is man, it's all confused. We are, in the words of, of the English band Mumford and Sons, we become hopeless wanderers, wanderers from our creator God. And because we blurred who God is, it has impacted on who we are. We are no longer anchored in the Christian and biblical teaching of who made us and what our role is. So identity, value, and roles are all up for grabs. We're redefining why. Because we have lost count of who God is and in turn who we are. And the question is this. Is there any hope? Is there any good news for our condition, our fall from grace? Yes, there is. God is mindful of us. He cares for us. And he expresses that love and care for us so demonstratively that he sends his only son, the Lord Jesus, who was, as verse 6 says, made a little lower than the angels. Why? To become human, so that he could die for us. While living on earth, Jesus was reflecting God's glory under his authority, his obedient life, living as we were designed perfectly. Jesus did what Adam couldn't. Jesus lived a life that we couldn't and didn't want to. And you see, his death paid for our rejection of God and his resurrection, and it starts a new beginning where God has put everything under Jesus' feet. And God who made us in his image and gave us a role which we messed up is now offering forgiveness, restoration to us, we who've walked away from him because, can come back because of Jesus' death and resurrection. God is redeeming back a people to himself who are made in his image, living for him, so that God's name is majestic in all the earth. What is man and woman that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Such love, such mercy, what a God. And folks, for each and every one of us here tonight, we are messed up. Our image has been, the image of God has been stained and blurred and confused. Our role before God has been utterly damaged. But God loved us and mindful of us and cared for us so much that he sent the Lord Jesus to redeem us, to redeem our image bearing, to redeem our roles before him. And that's what we see perfectly in the Lord Jesus. And he is calling a people to himself who are like his son. We cannot do this on our own. We need him 
the Lord Jesus to show us the way. And he does that graciously by dying and being raised to life. This is a wonderful psalm. I think C.S. Lewis said it was an exquisite psalm. And it surely is because it tells us who God is and so in turn tells us who we are. Let me pray for us as we continue on. Father God, we thank you tonight for reminding us that we are made in your image, that you have given us a role, a purpose, an identity. You have given us value and worth and belonging. And Lord, the sad thing is we have turned that all upside down by our rebellion and our deciding to be God. And Father, we pray tonight, forgive us for that. Forgive us for our continual sense of trying to be God. And Father, we pray and thank you that you don't leave us that way. We thank you, Lord God, that you come to a people who have rejected you, who are living as if you do not exist, and you show us how much you care and are mindful of us by giving your one and only Son, who lived the life of this image-bearer who lived the life of what it meant to be living under you, serving people like they should. And Father, we thank you that his ultimate act of his death and resurrection has paid for our rebellion. And we pray tonight, help us to rejoice in who you are, allowing you to be God, so that in turn, as we understand who you are, we grasp who we are in you. Father, we thank you for this psalm. We pray that you'll help us as we navigate life with it in certain hot topics and issues, in our own day-to-day living at work and in family and home. Help us, Lord, to know who you are and in turn know who we are in you. Lord God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the way that he is redeeming a people who will be image bearers, who will one day show the glory of God, and this earth will be filled with his glory and majesty. And we praise you for that, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we close our service, let's say the benediction together. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with us all evermore. Amen.